to the third episode of Screen Kings, the podcast where three horror authors, who are also movie fans, talk about the movie adaptations of the books of Stephen King. My name is Jeffrey X. Martin, and I am the author of Black Friday and short stories about you. My co-hosts for this endeavor are the author of the Subdue Trilogy, Thomas Flowers. Howdy. And the author of Salvage and Gristle and Bone, Duncan Ralston. Hey, hey, third Billy again. <laughs> 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 it's alphabetical. <laughs> <laughs> Today we drive our shitty Volkswagen Beetle up the Sidewinder Pass to the Overlook Hotel with our ineffectual wife and finger-talking kid as we look at Stanley Kubrick's version of Stephen King's classic novel, The Shining. Back in a second. Hello? Who are you trying to reach? I don't know. Um, I think you've got the wrong number. Do I? I'm going to hang up. Wait, don't hang up. What's that noise? Popcorn? You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn when I listen to podcasts. I'm about to listen to a podcast. Oh, really? Which one? Probably the podcast on Haunted Hill. Is that the one with the two guys with the beards? Uh, yeah, Dan and Gav. Most episodes, they look at two different horror movies. Each episode, they look at a world of the strange, where they look at weird things from around the world. Sometimes, they even do special episodes where they look at different genres or directors' discographies and talk about them. Do you have a boyfriend? Maybe. So where can I find the podcast on Haunted Hill? Well, you can go to legionpodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, or just go into iTunes and search for the podcast on Haunted Hill. So, are you going to ask me out? Stephen King said about Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining, and I quote, The book is hot and the movie is cold. The book ends in fire and the movie in ice. In the book, there's an actual arc where you see this guy, Jack Torrance, trying to be good, and little by little he moves over to this place where he's crazy. And as far as I was concerned when I saw the movie, Jack was crazy from the first scene. I had to keep my mouth shut at the time. It was a screening, and Nicholson was there. But I'm thinking to myself, the minute he's on the screen, oh, I know this guy. I've seen him in five motorcycle movies where Jack Nicholson played the same part. And it's so misogynistic. I mean, Wendy Torrance is just presented as this sort of screaming dish rag. But that's just me. That's the way I am. Welcome back to Screen Kings. Get ready for some in-depth analysis of 1980s The Shining. You know, I think most people know the story of The Shining by now, but let's turn to our horrible source for synopses, IMDb, and see how they <laughs> describe uh, The Shining. A family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter, where an evil and spiritual presence influences the father into violence, while his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from the past and of the future. 
<laughs> spiritual. Yes. <laughs> and forebodings from the past. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think they had a thesaurus for that yeah. one. And that was <laughs> Bang on. <laughs> pretty, pretty much it. <laughs> so let's just go ahead and start with what uh, King said about the movie. What do you guys think? Is he is he on target? Is he? Definitely. Yeah. I am watching it this time. I was I watched the director's cut. It's about two and a half hours. It's so much more evident what he's talking about there. How how so? What's you say? You watched the director's cut? Yeah, it's uh, two, <laughs> no, there was a director's cut. Oh man, it is really long and drawn out. I love the movie, but the director's cut is just. Uh, I found myself wanting to turn it off at points. Uh, I still love the movie, but. Anyway, Jack is crazy from the start. Yes, he is. The The one scene where he's not crazy is the interview scene at the beginning. But even then, I don't know. It's Jack Nicholson. It's just Jack Nicholson yeah. through the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> he just seems like he's trying to act like he's not crazy to get the job. Yeah, exactly. Cause he's know, which I've done a lot. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> What do you think, Tommy? Uh, yeah, uh, I completely agree with King's comments. Uh, I mean, that's just two separate things. It's the book, and then there's Kubrick's vision of the movie itself. Um, I'd recently read the book last year. I, th- I thought I wrote a review on it, but I couldn't find it. But I can still remember the exact – like it, a lot of things were forgivable throughout the entire movie if we're going to compare it to the book until you get and focus on Jack Torrance himself especially at the end at the end is where I kind of drew the line and said, you know, Kubrick's film is his, but man, it would have been so much better if he would have stuck to Jack Torrance character in the book, because I thought it was more horrific and, you know, and tragic. Yeah. The very end where he's trying to fight the thing inside him, you know, he's trying to fight the hotel and he does by killing himself. And then of course the hotel uses his body spoiler, uh, you know, to bring havoc to you know his family, or at least try to, and of course gets us consumed in an explosion. I like the fire ending better. Fire is more symbolic for me than being frozen. I'm not sure what the freezing in the maze is supposed to symbolize for Kubrick's vision, but um, yeah, silly. I agree with King. So what I'm hearing, and let's talk about this real quick, is do you think the movie was miscast? I like Jack Nicholson. A lot, but you're not going to get too far. Even One Flew to the Cuckoo's Nest, which is a fantastic movie with him, it's still Jack Nicholson. Like, he just plays Jack Nicholson in whatever role he's in. Like, you're just going to get Jack Nicholson. So if you want someone that's not crazy, that's someone who's trying to do good, he's trying to stay sober, you know, he's trying to write a book or a novel or a play or whatever the hell he's working on in this film. Um, he just seems kind of – he seems like a dick to Wendy like from the get-go you know mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they miscast pretty much and everybody the yeah the kid <laughs> was miscast the yeah, the Wendy I think I think the only one that was really good was Dick Holleran but I don't like the way that the movie ended him yeah, yeah. is that the same as the book I don't recall no no the, no, the book he he lives he's he's beat the shit but right. he lives yeah, yeah. And, and he gets the family out you know he's still and then in, in the book, you know, uh, Jack's dead, the hotel's burning, but it's still trying to influence. So it tries to influence him. Mm. It's pretty, pretty interesting. 
It's almost a psycho, this the psycho thing where he wanted to kill off a character that you've been with for like 20 minutes almost. Yeah. Do you think the movie would have benefited from a more graphic script? You know, maybe more blood, more jump scares. More there was a lot of blood. Tropes. Well, there was a lot of blood, but at a very concentrated period of time. <laughs> um, I don't think I don't know. I, I think it, the the horror, the gore, and it was was fine. And you see it in visions. Um, the scene with the old lady was done really well, I thought, where she's, you know, like, Jack's looking at her, like, with those hungry eyes, and, you know, <laughs> she turns into this hag. I thought that was a great scene. It was really, it, I think, subtle horror. It, it fits The Shining better than all-out gore fest. You know, I'm not sure I would have backed away that slowly from her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have looked at my hands to examine what I had just touched. I'd have just run. Yeah, maybe use the sink. Yeah, right? Or toilet. <laughs> There's probably like 55-gallon jugs of hand sanitizer down in the pantry. Um, <coughs> Calumet brand hand sanitizer. <laughs> um, let's talk about one of the major changes from the book um, to the film and kind of do a compare and contrast. Do you think the substitution of the hedge maze for the animal topiary worked? Oh. There's no, there's no real fear in the hedge maze. Well, I don't know. There's that, there's that primal fear of being, of being lost, being trapped in a place you can't get out of. Did you guys notice the, um, the scene? I guess where it's overlooking the hedge maze, although it's. Jack Nicholson overlooking the model of the hedge maze. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Like yeah. a god. And he, see, he sees them moving, like little pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what Kubrick... I'm not sure what Kubrick was thinking. He's kind of a visual kind of guy, but... Yeah. It reminded me of, like, Clash of the Titans. But I think there's a similar scene in Clash of the Titans where the Greek gods are looking over a model and, uh, like, the Pantheon or something like that. I don't know. And then it, it does that same sort of fade to the actual scene yeah. from high above. I think it was a chess game. Might have been, might have been. Yeah, where he's got, like, clay models of Perseus and whoever yeah. else, yeah. Calabas, and he just moves them around as he wishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Because um, I don't really see Jack as, I don't really see him as the Lord of the Overlook, so it's interesting that they yeah. would have given him that perspective. Well, that's one of the another major thing they changed from the book to movie was, in the book, the hotel wanted the boy because of his power, and in the movie you don't really get that constant perception. You you get the idea that they wanted Jack because he was part yeah, of the so hotel from the beginning or some and such. They want to get so. to the kid, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really, nobody wants to get to the kid in this movie. Yeah, you know, I'm not even sure Wendy wants to get to the kid, and he's hers. <laughs> um, the Tony thing, they should have been a little more like Tony arriving right after you know uh, his dad abused him. That's kind of something that they should be concerned about, maybe. Yeah, like a real easy um, <laughs> psychological <laughs> assumption to make. Like you can. Yeah, and the that, that... doesn't seem to put two yeah. and two together. <laughs> no, that... Oh, that's. Or she does, but she doesn't say anything. She's too polite or something. Oh, she's like, oh, that's interesting. That's weird. <laughs> 
Um, speaking of, and this is kind of a horrible question to ask, which is why I'm doing it. Um, who was the worst child actor? Danny Lloyd in The Shining or Jake Lloyd in The Phantom Menace? <laughs> Jake Lloyd, Jake Lloyd, definitely. You think Jake was worse? Way worse. And it's a way worse movie. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a worse movie. I don't know. I don't know if it's. I don't know if he was worse or not. Danny Pinchuaro was worse. Oh God! Well, that all he had to do was just scream and keep that haircut, and he was okay. <laughs> I kind of like. Uh, I kind of like Danny, and like in recent viewings, <clears throat> compared to the first few times I'd seen it. Huh. Okay. I'm not sure why. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Tommy? Uh, yeah, I think Danny Lloyd is probably the out of the two. They're probably the worst. I don't know. I, I just didn't. I mean, he's a child actor, so I don't really put a lot of stock in. Just seem kind of bland, <laughs> and you know. I don't know. I, I don't really care for his people. performance. You know, and the whole red rum with different voice thing is kind of annoying. <laughs> That's Tony. Danny's not here, Mrs. Lawrence. Oh, shut up. I don't know. I guess, and for me, and this is, I'm, I'm just being snarky at this point, but who cares? Um, <laughs> it seems like if you're going to play Danny in any adaptation of The Shining, you have to be just a walking sinus infection. <laughs> I mean, that kid was, he was an adenoid, and he needed to be removed. I just couldn't stand him. And same thing for the kid in the miniseries, too. Worse in the miniseries. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you know? He just sounded like he had green mucus dripping down his face. Just sounded like it. It was terrible. Um, uh, Danny Lloyd, I think, is a, he's a high school teacher now. He lives in Illinois. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. He um, spent some time working. He drove a tractor on a pig farm. He's got, like, he's got like six kids. <laughs> so he's, like, really, like, normal and has adjusted well to his child stardom whereas Jake Lloyd has not probably through no fault of his own um serious question about the movie and this is I think this is this is tantamount did it frighten you Mm. no the the tropes are all the same now they've been used so many times and you know, okay, maybe well, when I was a kid. I was going to say that it frightened you the first time you saw it. I mean, I, I mean, obviously not now, but the first time you saw it was was there. Do anything? You know, unsettling. Unsettling. I don't okay. Know Did it frighten you, Tom? Um, no. A lot with like Duncan said. I mean, it's, it's really hard to you know, it's really hard to be scared anymore these days. And but I think. You know, unsettling is a fair word. There were certain scenes, like the hag, you know, that was kind of unsettling. You know, see this beautiful woman, and she's kind of playing a trick on you, and she's really a hag. And the book actually was, I thought, had more scenes like that. That's happened to me more than once. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Reading the book, I felt, you know, King does some marvelous job with getting you inside the head of characters, which is kind of hard to pull off in theater, but... um, just the idea of not having control over yourself and, or, you know, just, and then when, and when you finally get control or, or, or if you can, you have to kill yourself in order to save the people you love. You know, those kind of concepts are, you know, troubling or unsettling. Ending with the photograph. Oh God. It doesn't make any sense at all. 
Yeah. Preach it! <laughs> and the, there's the deja vu thing. Did they talk about the deja vu in the... In the uh, does he mention he's having deja vu in the regular edition? No, I don't. Uh, I don't recall him ever mentioning that. In the director's cut, he talks about deja vu. It seems like he's been at the Overlook before. So clearly, oh, that's oh yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I, I think when he was now. talking to Wendy or the bartender yeah, or something, where he's he's like, yeah, I feel like a you know or something like that, like dreams. Uh, what I found kind of weird is it's actually in the movie, but they never ever mention it. The scrapbook, it's sitting on the table for with his typewriter, but they never even mention the scrapbook. Oh yeah, in the miniseries they do. He does, or Wendy goes through the scrapbook, I think, but I don't recall it. Because that was a that was a nice part about the book version is because it was you know a taboo. They, uh, Mr. Oval or whatever his name was, didn't really want to mention the murders in the hotel, but felt like he was kind of liable. Ullman, I guess his name is, and uh, in the book, you know, he didn't really want to do any of that, and Jack kind of discovered this mystery or whatever as as they stayed there yeah and you you learn more about the hotel and the history of the hotel don't you yeah which made a lot of the other future scenes you know explain them a little bit better and stuff having randomly you're passing a room and there's a dude in a smurf or puppy costume <laughs> or something and... And do you think kubrick invented yiffing is that what that was <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not sure if he invented it, but um, he definitely gave it a signal boost. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there are a lot of things about this movie that are um, terrible. Um, the acting's awful. Everyone sounds like they're reading cue cards. Um, the constant use of the steady cam, I think, kind of sucks the humanity out of the story. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you've got like these three iconic scenes in this one film. You've got, we've talked about it, the hag in room 237, um, you know, the animal collective blowjob or whatever. And um, <laughs> oh, yeah, not yeah, the yeah. band, not the <clears throat> band. I think there were other people there in animal masks. Um, and of course, you got the elevators opening up and the blood filling the hall. Now, are these three scenes enough to make a movie work? Because they're all anybody seems to talk about. Boy, come play with us, Danny, forever and ever and ever. Uh, the movie okay. has definitely had like a bunch of other scenes that, you know, compared to the book, it's not quite fair. I guess you had to separate the two and to make them two separate entities, you know, to, to, to give the movie, you know, some fairness. There was aspects of, you know, those scenes are famous, iconic. Um, I personally love the bar scenes with uh, Lloyd, mm-hmm. the bartender. And, you know, he's like white man's burden, Lloyd. <laughs> he's very Jack <laughs> Nicholson. <laughs> and, yeah, no money's no means. good here, Mr. Torrance. Yeah. <laughs> those scenes are great. Like, it's really great Jack Nicholson, you know, but I don't think it's much of the shining. But I guess it kind of shows where he's losing his mind. But then again, he's losing his mind to the very beginning. Yeah. Um. Well, I think we're led to believe he had lost his mind before the film even started. Yeah. yeah. You know? It's weird when it suddenly takes his point of view, but it it doesn't take his point of view as he's losing his mind. It's after he's lost his mind. Yeah. I mean, listening to him explain how he broke Danny's arm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's very weird. and kind The of... timing on that is kind of odd, too. I thought... I never laid a hand on him. 
hint. I wouldn't touch one hair on his goddamn little head. I love the little son of a bitch. <laughs> I'd do anything for him. Any fucking thing for him. But that bitch. As long as I live, she'll never let me forget what happened. I did hurt him once, okay? It was an accident. Completely unintentional. Could have happened to anybody. And it was three goddamn years ago. The little fucker had thrown all my papers all over the floor. All I tried to do was pull them up. A momentary loss of muscular coordination. You extra foot pounds of energy per second per second. That's really self-serving and kind of I don't know. It's just self-pitying. It's kind it's of a little range. <laughs> I didn't mean to hurt him. Okay, whatever. Um. <laughs> so I guess the big the big major question is why does this movie still endure as a horror classic? I mean, I think when you break it down. Okay. Well, when you break it down into its elements, I, it doesn't make sense that it works as a as a whole. And like Tommy said, this is the first time with a Stephen King film that you've really got to separate the book from the film. You have to have that kind of a distance from the source material in order for it to work. So why the hell are we still watching this movie? <laughs> Well, I, I, I've thought of it as, a, it as a classic for years, and I, you know, I'd put it up there with Carrie and Misery and Green Mile and Stand by Me and Shawshank Redemption, which is, you know, on everybody's top 100 list. But this past viewing, you know, I'm with you guys. It's not as good as uh, I remembered it. <laughs> it has, yeah, at, the 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 parts of it don't come together and work as well as a whole, I guess. I think The Shining works for people who aren't into horror movies. Like, it's mm. The Shining light. You know, if you wanted to give someone a diet, Shining. <laughs> this would probably, the movie, this movie would probably be it. Now with more Nicholson. <laughs> with more, yeah, because it's Jack Nicholson, which everyone loves. I think Shelley Duvall in it is, wow, just, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> Jack, you know, he shines. And I think most people, you know, they think it's horror, you know, or they think it's good horror. And so I think it's something that you show to your friends who don't watch those kind of movies normally, like on a Halloween marathon night or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. And everyone, as far as like film, you know, lore, you know, people see it as a Kubrick film. So yeah, it's not a King film. It's a Kubrick film. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. There, there's a, I had to mention though, I thought, you know, watching it, you know, uh, numerous times and then again before the show, there's actually a scene where uh, Jack Nicholson breaks the third wall where he looks at the camera as he storms off. I thought that I'd never yeah. seen that before, and I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> they're uh, they're in the bedroom, you know, and Danny's kind of in his weird eyes open coma, 
and um, Wendy's pleading with him, you know, we, we had to take our son home, yada, yada, yada. And he's, you know, he explodes on her, you know, you set this up, you always try to ruin things for me, yada, yada, yada. And then he storms off and right before he rounds the corner, he kind of glares into the camera. <laughs> I wonder if that was uh, something that was intentional or he was just really in character and, you know, wanted to glare at the cameraman. I'm about to fuck shit up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's bizarre. I don't remember that. Yeah, fast forward, right there. Out it reminds me of times. the. Uh, oh, it reminds me of the thing with uh, where they spe- sped up the scenes <laughs> of him chasing uh, Danny around the overlooking through the maze and whatnot, and put it to the Benny Hill soundtrack. <laughs> you know that would have worked. I would have been okay yeah. with that. There are just so many weird little changes that don't make any sense to me in this movie. Even switching out the, you know, the Roke mallet for the axe, I thought was a weird decision. So I don't know. It's there are a lot of things about The Shining that I just think are curious. I guess is the right word as to why they decided to go this particular route. Um, you know, when you had a perfectly fine story in the book, you know, I don't understand why you would make these decisions. But that's really not that's that's really not my place. I don't guess. <clears throat> um, any well, the mallet worked for the because they changed it to a hedge maze instead <clears throat> instead of the hedge animals with the uh, yeah. They could have been playing croquet inside the overlook. They were playing, you know. <laughs> but they went right from you know uh, from the tour of the of the uh, overlook to there's snow everywhere virtually yeah that's true okay so what i'm gathering here using my active listening skills is that (laughs) (laughs) sorry um is that maybe this is not the great movie that we all think it is (laughs) yeah i think it's a great movie for people like i said who don't normally watch horror but for people who are constantly you know critiquing it and watching it and looking for that good story looking for that good king you know, transfer to cinema. It definitely doesn't hold to the book at all. So no good for snobs. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, horror snobs are not going to like this one. Um, <laughs> Although most like do. The, like yeah, it. most of them do. Oh. And somehow we're in agreement. I think, I don't know. I think the agreement comes in the fact that where the movie falters, as far as I'm concerned, is Shelley Duvall is horrible. Yeah, I don't get, because she's such a Wendy Torrance in the book. It's such a... She's a strong character. I mean, she tries to placate her husband, but she doesn't like just say, you know, where Jack's yelling at her, get the fuck out, you know, and she's like, well, okay then. You know, like the book character would not have like stood there and said, oh, well, okay, Jack, whatever you say. No, and in the movie she's like, okay, Heidi Ho, I'll bring you some soup. Yep. What? No. I'll wear a red sweater underneath a dinner jumper. Right? (laughs) <laughs> she's she's a muppet. She's a muppet raggedy Ann doll in that movie, and I just can't stand it. And her, uh, I don't know. I guess yeah, I guess I have a thing with her anywhere. She's just I. She's hard to look at for me. Yeah, that's why she's not in a lot of movies at all. Yeah. Anymore. On the ones she, the ones that she is in, tend to be more artistic films. I guess where we really want a character actress with I don't know, flat black hair and bug eyes. Bring it on. So. Yeah. Well, maybe that's where we're kind of tripping on ourselves is that we're – we keep looking at The Shining as a King story, and so we're trying to figure out why this director didn't direct it like King would. But 
We're not trying to figure out, you know, what kind of story is Kubrick trying to tell us? Well, that's true. And why would he cast people who are so, as soon as you see them, they are just who they are, you know? Nicholson yeah. doesn't inhabit a character. Shelley Duvall is always Shelley Duvall. You know, for that matter, Scatman Crothers is always Hong Kong Fooey, so... <laughs> Scatman. It's just, it's just very weird, weird choices. It's almost like he wanted to make King angry with the adaptation. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I think so. Yeah, just like, I'm just going to piss this guy off. <laughs> it certainly is the one movie that he's most vocal about loathing. Yeah. Except the lawnmower man, which he sued to get his name off. <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into that later down the road, but yeah. <laughs> I don't even get why that's even considered a Stephen King movie. Um, I don't consider it a Stephen King movie because it has yeah. nothing to do with the story at all. Let's not even watch it. <laughs> okay. That's off the list. All right. Good. <laughs> save, our, save ourselves some pain. Um, Who put the Shining TV show on this list? Uh, that, well, that was probably me, so you can scratch that off, too. I don't mind it. It's, I mean, it's a little corny, but I mean, so, some of the acting's a little corny, but it follows the book a lot better. I've never seen it, but do, do they do the hedge maze scene where the animals come to life? Yes. Yeah, they do that. It's corny. But Is uh, it like horrible made-for-TV blue screen CGI? Oh, yes. yeah, for sure. It's Nick Garris, I think. Because so. <laughs> in my head, I was thinking about that, you know. Uh, Jeff was asking wh- why we, it, you know, what do we think about it being left out? And in my head, I was thinking, if this was made in the '90s, they would have used horrible CGI. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's terrible. It's it's like, like Langoliers terrible. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the hand of God in in uh, the stand. <laughs> yeah, the Langoliers, the big black Pac-Man's. <laughs> what the hell? I think if there's anything that I can say about The Shining, that is why it doesn't work, as opposed to the book is that there's no sense of tragedy to it. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it detaches itself from the characters so much so that all you can do is watch, and then when bad things finally happen, you're like, well, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? You've put yourself in this yeah. horrible situation. I, I don't feel badly for any of you. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a great point, because in the book, there is tragedy, because you don't want Jack Torrance to die. Whereas in the movie, he was a dick from the get-go, so you want him to die. Yeah. Yeah, he made a few mistakes in the in the book, but <clears throat> and then he was being used as a puppet. Yeah. Right, and you feel bad for him. But in the movie, it's just like, you hate everybody, with the possible exception of, of Dick Halloran. You know? Yeah. Wendy won't stop screaming, and... <laughs> <laughs> Danny won't stop riding that damn big wheel around and babbling. It's just like, oh my god, if I was like over an entire winter with this family, I would stay in my room. <laughs> I would not want to have any contact with them at all. So yeah, I don't feel bad when anything happens to them. You know, especially with that dumbass. Here's the picture. I was always the caretaker. Ending. What the fuck does that even mean? I don't know. You've always been the caretaker. What? <laughs> what? So this why is so was, why was Grady like the the boss of the hotel at one point in that long 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 bathroom scene? Uh, the long... There's a lot of scenes in bathrooms in that movie. Yeah, very red bathrooms too. <laughs> yeah, red. It just I don't know. The whole thing looks like Christmas. All right. Um, <laughs> tell you what, we're gonna come back in a minute. We're gonna rate this movie, and then we will. 
kind of wrap things up as far as The Shining goes. We'll be back in a second. I'm Cootie. And my name is X. We're the hosts of Kiss the Goat. Now, this has nothing to do with farming or bestiality. In fact, there seems to be a little confusion about what Kiss the Goat is precisely about. Well, first and foremost, it's a company show. No. First and foremost, it's about devil movies, from the ridiculous to the sublime. Right, but there's also a drinking game on every episode. Well, yeah, okay, but there's also a news segment on each show detailing the weird battle between good and evil. Okay, but there are also a lot of running gags. Well, yeah, but we also answer any and all questions from our listeners, and sometimes that gets pretty deep. But there are also terrible puns, and foul language, and a hefty dose of irreverence and light-hearted blasphemy. <laughs> there is that. Well, I think it's safe to say that there's nothing quite like Kiss the Goat anywhere else out there. Yeah, we don't even know what it's about, and we created the damn thing. <laughs> so join us, won't you, on Kiss the Goat. We make evil fun. Or we make fun evil. We, we don't know. We are back. We're going to wrap up our discussion of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, because I'm sure shit ain't Stephen King's The Shining, as we've discovered, and um, keeping up with our new tradition of rating it with things that actually appear in the film. We're going to rate this one to five boxes of Calumet baking powder. <laughs> so, Duncan, let's start with you. All right. Uh, I'm going to be kind and give it mm, four out of five Calumet baking powder or sodas, but uh, <laughs> that ending in a bear suit, really. <laughs> that ending is brutal. How about you, Tommy? I'll give it three out of five. Yeah, yada, yada, baking soda. Um, I mean, it is an iconic film. It's what you would consider a cult classic just because people have made it that way. It's definitely something you show your friends who don't normally watch it. It's, you know, it's entertaining to see Jack, me and Jack. But, yeah, the line was drawn for me at the end of the – comparing the book to the film, and they just kind of ruined – ruined it so yeah i'm going to kind of go in the middle with y'all and give it three and a half boxes of calumet baking powder um well because you know it's fair i mean it is a movie that people love i'm i don't know if they know why they love it i mean really have thought about it but it is something that they enjoy um i i certainly don't hate it i just know when i'm watching it that it feels like a completely disjointed collection of scenes that really don't add up to what Kubrick thinks they added up to, you know, like an actual conclusion. Yeah. Totally I mean, if he, if he was going for something different and he was going to try to use different scenes or stylizations, they had to come to some kind of conclusion that made sense. Like the, him overlooking the giant chess maze to him at the final scene in the hotel, you know, picture it, it mm -hmm. does. I don't, I don't understand what he was trying to say. Yeah. I don't either. Yeah. thematically, there was nothing there. No, it was, Which is funny if it had a, had, had a decent plot and everything was connected together, really. 
It's not even like it felt tacked on. I mean, it, it it's it's an ending that doesn't make sense and yet feels organic. I guess because of that long, slow, um, you know, tracking shot going into the photograph, which is you know how the rest of the movie is filmed. So there's that inconsistency. There's a stylistic consistency, but practically no consistency with the screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange what we consider to be classic sometimes. Yeah. Kubrick. It's Kubrick. Everything man. he does, well, except for his last movie, is a classic. Yep. Oh, you don't think Eyes Wide Shut was a classic? I love Eyes Wide Shut, but most people don't. Hmm. I like Doctor Strange Love. It's my favorite. Strange Love's great. Yeah. Yeah, I like Strange Love too. That's that. That may be my favorite. <laughs> that Doctor Nazi is hilarious. God, nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody watches Barry Lyndon. I need to watch Barry Lyndon again. Oh God, it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let us talk about where people can purchase things that we have written. Uh, Duncan, tell us where we can find your fiction. The Amazon. Yes. <laughs> Tommy? Likewise, Amazon. Yes. And you can you can also get a signed paperback copy at your Barnes & Noble if you live in Webster, Texas. Hey. <laughs> That's awesome. We should totally target advertising towards Webster, Texas. Yep. There you go. I'm for it. Um, yes, you can also find my books on the Amazon. We have all offered our sacrifices unto the altar of Amazon. All hail, Amazon. All hail. <laughs> we, should, we should see if they'll sponsor the show. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's it. Thanks for listening to Screen Kings. Join us on our next episode when we'll talk about Stephen King's first collaboration with George Romero, which will be the anthology film Creep Show. Woo! Right on. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. I don't have a clever ending. Bye-bye now.